spend this time with us. Um, so, Pastor Kevin is not here with us this morning, and um, I don't look like him. <laughs> I know, you might confuse us if you saw us standing here. He, he's not well. Um, now, it's not anything too serious, so no need to panic, and he will be back next week um, for the regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> so today you get me, and Pastor Kevin, I know you're watching online, so when I'm sick, um, I need you to lead worship. <laughs> I, I have weekly meetings with him um, to, to, to talk about our work here, to talk about what we're doing, to make sure we're on the same page. And um, about two weeks ago, we had a discussion about what would happen if he wasn't able to make it. Um, and at the time we sketched out the plan, I didn't think we were going to have to put it in, into action so quickly. So um, our, t our discussion was timely. I'm here. He's not. Um, he'll be back as soon as he's feeling better. And um, in thinking about what I could share at such short notice, um, I thought that we could take a pause on our journey through the series and talk about a subject that I've thought much about in these past few years. Um, I don't know if any of you can identify with this. <sighs> I had a plan for my life. I had a list of things that I thought I would do and a list of achievements that I thought I would have. But as we all know in life, sometimes stuff happens. Did you know something I realized this week? I've been associated with Greenbelt for 20 years. So some of you are starting to feel quite old right now. Yes, 20 years. Yeah, clap. Okay. I first came to work here at Greenbelt in 2003. And... Um, I haven't been here the whole time. My journey took me to other congregations around the city, but I've always come back. And um, a few of you that are currently feeling quite old, um, remember when I first showed up. If you do do this, you know who you are. I see you. And when I, met the, when I first met the people of this congregation, I was amazed at how pristine and put together you all looked. <laughs> you were all so gracious and kind to me. You invited me to your homes. You welcomed me. You fed me so much turkey at Thanksgiving and Christmas that I am cured for t from turkey for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I marveled at your affluent homes and the comforts you lived with. I was new to Canada at the time, and um, your homes were so clean and warm and inviting. Um, but the longer I got to know you guys, <laughs> what? I haven't even said the next thing. The longer I got to know you guys, the more you gave me a gift. Oh, you didn't see where that was going. <laughs> you, you might not think of it as a gift, but I do. Um, 
what you did was you helped me to see that living a life that looks like it is extremely blessed, you can at the same time be going through one of the most challenging circumstances. You helped me to see the tension of living a life that looks like everything is okay, while at the same time walking with grace through tough and extremely challenging circumstances. There is a duality about our existence, isn't there? That on one hand, we can look like everything's okay, while on the other hand, wading through incredibly difficult circumstances. Stuff happens. Most of the time, we're quiet about it. We're afraid of how we will be perceived. We want to avoid the looks of judgment or the well-intentioned but horribly timed platitudes. But this morning, I want to create a safe space. I want to create a safe space in which we all admit that even though we may look pristine and put together, the truth of the matter is that stuff happens. I know earlier I asked if any of you can identify with this, but I was only asking, I was only asking it rhetorically. Without knowing the details of your life, I know that all of us in this room know the feeling of laying out plans for our lives, for our futures, for our children, even for our holidays, only to see them go up in smoke because stuff happens. So what do you do when your best laid plans don't work out? What do you do when you plan for the best, but the worst happens? What do you do when you're just going about your life, living day to day, and it is flipped upside down? What do you do when stuff happens? And while I was thinking of this tension, I was reminded of the story of Daniel. Oh, I didn't stop that. Just give me a second. <laughs> One of the great things about using technology in this room is we have a lot of automation. But with the automation, um, there's also sometimes if we forget to stop things or whatever, Stuff it changes happens. the light. Stuff <laughs> happens. Thank you, Karen. You're paying attention. You get a gold star. Who else wants a gold star? Yes. I was thinking of the story of Daniel. Now, the book in Daniel, the book of Daniel is an Old Testament story. Some of you have read it before. It's mostly about the life of Daniel. And if you were to parachute into his life, just like we're about to in Daniel chapter 6, um, you would think that everything was amazing for this man. He was a top bureaucrat in the most powerful empire of his time, and he was living a life that most of us would be thankful for or would claim that he should be thankful for. I'm going to read using a version of the Bible that is a paraphrased version. It's called The Message, and I like it because it is very conversational. I, I, I like reading The Message sometimes because it helps me see passages of Scripture that I've read over and over and over again, just in a slightly different light in order to bring them to life again. And I'm going to use that, um, that version this morning as I read. If you want to follow along, you can pull it up on your device. Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read a, pa a few passages in Daniel and search for a version of the Bible called The Message. 
Um, and if you're using a paper Bible, it might, what I read might not sound the, exactly the same as you, but that's okay. Read along with us. So let's parachute into Daniel's life in Daniel chapter 6. So this is what it says. Daniel, at this point, he's the most powerful bureaucrat in, his, in, his, in the empire of his time. Darius reorganized his kingdom. Darius was the emperor at this time. He appointed 120 governors to administer all the parts of his realm. Over them were three vice-regents, one of whom was Daniel. The governors reported to the vice-regents who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice-regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. Hey, this looks like the life of somebody that should be exceedingly thankful. This looks like the life of somebody for whom everything's going okay, doesn't it? He so completely outclassed the other governors that the emperor decided to put him in charge of everything. But here's the thing. You have to pull back from this snapshot to understand what was really happening in Daniel's life. Daniel was an exiled person. He had been carried off into slavery Many years before this, he was a second-class citizen in the Persian Empire. He had come to this kingdom as a young man, and no matter how good things were going, trouble always seemed to follow him. To understand where he came from, you have to go to the beginning of the story. Daniel was a part of a group that had been carried off into slavery, in, um, into, into a neighboring empire, and they had completely destroyed his country. But these invaders were not content to simply destroy the country. In order to ensure that there were no ensuing uprisings, they would take the children of the leaders from the people they had conquered and indoctrinate and assimilate them so thoroughly as to not only conquer their countries, but also conquer their minds. In the first chapter of the book of Daniel, you see that he was a part of a group that was chosen for this exact purpose, he was picked to be a part of a group that would be brought to the royal passage, fed from the royal table, and trained for positions in the king's court. So let's rewind. Daniel chapter 1. We parachuted into Daniel 6 where things look great, but let's go back to Daniel 1. Daniel 1, um, verse 3. The king told Ashpenaz, head of the palace staff, to get some Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men who were healthy and handsome, intelligent and well-educated, good prospects for leadership positions in the government, perfect specimens, <laughs> and indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and lore of magic and fortune-telling. Then the king ordered that they be served from the same menu as the royal table, the best food, the finest wine. After three years of training, they would be given positions in the king's court. Four men from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among those selected. The head of the palace staff gave them Babylonian names. Daniel was named Belteshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. Mishael was named Meshach. 
and Azariah was named Abednego. Do you know what? In our happiness-obsessed culture, people would tell Daniel, this is what they'd tell Daniel, be thankful you were not killed in the conquest. Wouldn't we say useless platitudes to him like that? Be thankful you're getting the best food and education. Look, you got picked to live in the palace and eat from the royal menu. This is the kind of stuff we throw around (laughs) to help people perhaps reframe their understanding of the circumstances that are thrust upon them when stuff happens. But it can be, if you're the person receiving it, it can be really grating and insensitive. And you know what? It turns out Daniel was no slouch. He and his friends were smart and distinguished. They kept a strict vegan diet. They studied their butts off. And when the time came for them to be examined, they proved that they were head and shoulders above everybody. And so if you go to verse 17 of the same chapter, it says, God gave these four young men knowledge and skill in both, knowledge and skill in both books and life. In addition, Daniel was gifted in an understanding of all sorts of visions and dreams. At the end of the time set by the king for their training, the head of the royal staff brought them into Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the, um, uh, was the emperor who had just destroyed Israel and carried them off into slavery. When the king interviewed them, he found them superior to all the young men. None were a match for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they took their place in the king's service. Whenever the king consulted them on anything, on books or on life, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom put together. Be thankful, we would say to Daniel. But to tell Daniel and his friends to be thankful would be to forget something fundamental about his situation. He was a slave the whole time. He was a second-class citizen the whole time. And he was in the employ of a madman. Nebuchadnezzar was such a temperamental and dangerous king that being elevated in his court was no guarantee that you would not lose your head at any minute. I mean, check out this ridiculousness, okay? Let's go to Daniel, Daniel 2. Let's keep going. Daniel 2. We're going to read a story that, in my estimation, is ridiculous. Let's, let's read it. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar started having dreams that disturbed him so deeply, and he couldn't sleep. He called in all the Babylonian magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and fortune tellers to interpret his dreams for him. When they came up and lined before the king, he said to them, I had a dream that I can't get out of my mind, and I can't sleep until I know what it means. The fortune teller, speaking in Aramaic, said, Long live the king! Tell us your dream and we will interpret it. The king answered all the fortune tellers, This is my decree. If you can't tell me both the dream itself and its interpretation, I'll have you ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and your homes torn down. But if you tell me both the dream And its interpretation, I'll lavish you with gifts and honors. So get to it. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered, 
If it please the king, if it please your majesty, tell us the dream and we will give you the interpretation. But the king said, I know what you're up to. You're just playing for time. You know you're up a tree. You know that if you can't tell me my dream, you're doomed. I see right through you. You're going to cook up some fancy stories and confuse the issue until I change my mind. Nothing doing. First tell me the dream, then I'll know that you're on the up and up. And with the interpretation, I'll know you're on the up and up with the interpretation and not just blowing smoke up my eyes. (laughs) So wait, seriously. Tell me what I dreamed. (laughs) Tell me what I dreamed. Like, yeah. And then interpret the dream for me. Tell me what I dreamed and then interpret. Are you kidding? If you read further through the story, you see the fortune tellers tried to tell the king how ridiculous his demand was. But he didn't budge. No matter how good their situation was, these guys in Nebuchadnezzar's court, they always knew that at any moment they could be killed by this madman. And they really were up for execution until God revealed the dream to Daniel. (laughs) You want Daniel to be thankful working in the court of this madman? Come on now. But this is so true about much of life. You can be right in the middle of something that to outsiders looks like the best gig ever. Pretty sweet situation. But the reality could not be much further from the perception. And that's why it's appropriate that we need to remember the simple truth. Stuff does what? Stuff happens. No matter how good things look on the outside, each one of us, I know this, each one of us has experienced some of the toughest moments living right in what looks like some of the best moments of our lives. Daniel's situation was complicated to say the least. No matter how much the external situation looked like it had changed for good, his status as a slave and a second class citizen never changed. He was elevated early in his life. He served five kings. He served five Persian and Medes kings. Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, Belshazzar, Darius, Xerxes, and Cyrus. And even though he served each one of them loyally, there were always people around him reminding him of his second-class status and plotting to get him killed. Was, was Daniel's status condition? of lifelong captivity and second-class citizen, a situation of his own making? No. Was he to blame for the jealousy and incompetence of the people around him? No. Stuff just happened. He would put his head down. He would work. He would not ruffle any feathers and still get threatened with life and death and thrown into lion's dens and even watch his friends get thrown into a fiery furnace. They survived, but still. And here's the thing. When <clears throat> most of us, when faced with the kind of stuff that Daniel had to walk through, most of us would have just completely given up on this whole faith thing. 
Now, I do not mean to diminish the struggles that many of us have gone through, but you have to admit that sometimes the things we abandon our faith for are nothing like the stuff that Daniel had to live through. Can you imagine being watching your country being wiped out by another? Watching millions of people getting slaughtered at the hand of invaders. Israel was in ruins properly when Nebuchadnezzar was done with it. The destruction was so complete that it would take hundreds of years after until a guy called Nehemiah rose up and rebuilt it. Can you imagine being carried off as a slave and given another name? Can you imagine having your identity erased and being told that your past no longer exists? I mean, the people among us who can perhaps try to imagine this are the First Nations people who lived through the days of residential schools. They probably have a better understanding of what this might be like. But the vast majority of us Canadians cannot understand what this is really like, being carried off, being given another name, having your culture erased. Can you imagine living as a second-class citizen in a country and knowing that no matter how well you perform on your job, somebody can make up a story about you and conspire to have you killed? Can you imagine living with that constant tension of knowing that no matter how much you were elevated, it can be taken away from you in an instant? Daniel's situation was not of his own making. Stuff that was completely out of his control just happened. And this is the reason why I chose him this morning. It is because there's so much to learn from Daniel. When you're going through the stuff in your life that makes you seem like you're trapped or captive to it, I want you to remember three things that Daniel did in captivity to, to keep him steadfast. The first thing is that he kept his integrity. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself by eating the king's food or drinking his wine. So he asked the head of the palace staff to exempt him from the royal diet. The head of the palace staff, by God's grace, like Daniel, but he warned him, I'm afraid of what my master the king will do. He's the one who assigned the diet, and if he sees that you're not as healthy as the rest, he'll have my head. For many of us, the minute things go bad, the first temptation is to sacrifice our integrity. The reason for this is that most of the quick fixes to the problems in life are within reach. Now, when things are going well, it's easy for us to stay away from them and not have your integrity tested, isn't it? But the minute that stuff happens, the temptation to reach for the quick fix becomes overwhelming. 
The nature of this world in which we live is that anything that is truly worth having requires discipline and hard work. If you want to perform well on your studies, you have to work hard. If you want to be a good parent or spouse, you have to put in the work. If you are a farmer and you want a good harvest, you have to put in the work. If you are a miner, you have to put in the hard work to extract minerals from the earth. If you, dis- if you desire to extinguish your extinguish if you desire to distinguish yourself in any capacity you have to put in the work if you desire to extinguish yourself as well you might have to put in the work anything that is worth truly having anything that is worth truly having requires discipline and hard work and it is easy to keep your discipline when everything is in its proper place but nothing stays in its proper place for long does it I mean, we all lived through the global pandemic. Did any of us cause it? No, it just happened. And we saw the world change before our very eyes. Some of us have been involved with efforts to help Ukrainian refugees relocate and find new homes. Stuff just happened. The conflict has erupted in the Middle East And while we know that there are many factors, many geopolitical factors that affect what has happened, for the ordinary people on the ground, with no political power, with no say in what happens, on both sides, the ones living with the destruction and fear, stuff has just happened. And this is the way life is. Sometimes stuff happens as a consequence of your poor choices, but other times it happens without any input from us at all. And when stuff happens, in order to get a quick fix to make things right, we're tempted to sacrifice our integrity. In order to satisfy the desires that are clamoring for fulfillment, we're pressured to sacrifice our integrity. Daniel was different. In the midst of the biggest trial of his life, he refused to sacrifice his integrity. He did it at great expense to his own safety. But I believe that we can learn from his challenge. The second thing is that he kept his faith. Remember the story we read about Nebuchadnezzar and the wise men and the fortune tellers and the impossible task of telling him what he dreamed. Here's what Daniel did. Daniel chapter 2. After Arioch filled in the background, this is verse 15. Daniel went to the king and asked for a little time so he could interpret the dream. Daniel then went home and told his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what was going on. And he asked them to pray to the God of heaven for mercy in solving this mystery so that the four of them wouldn't be killed along with a whole company of Babylonian wise men. And if you continue reading the rest of Daniel 2, you know that he was given a vision in which he saw the king's dream. And he was able to interpret it. But do not think for a moment that this was not a high stakes event. Without the wisdom and sight that God gave him, he would have been executed along with his friends 
and the whole company of advisors. Now Daniel could have thrown up his hands and wallowed in despair. Why me? And you know what? I would not fault him for a moment. He was in an impossible situation. But Daniel did something different. He kept his faith. I've seen it over and over again. The minute stuff happens, people abandon their faith. God has forsaken me. God does not care. Why me? If God exists, why would he let this happen to me? Honestly, I don't have an answer for the why question. None of us do. The reason we do not have an answer for the why question is because we cannot see the bigger picture the way God does. All I know is that this world is broken. And this world that is broken is filled with broken people. And broken people break things. And when we break things, chaos happens. More to that, I cannot promise that because you keep your faith, only good things will happen to you. Bad things will never happen. Daniel died in a foreign land. He never got to go back home. No matter how good he was as a governor and a counselor, he never got his freedom. People were always plotting against him. But I know one thing. He never lost his faith in God because he knew that God was greater than his circumstance. He knew that God's story arc was so much greater than his 70 years on the planet. He knew that God would work his purposes out whether he was a slave or not. I think that this is why God, this is why Daniel got to see God's hand move in his life even in the worst possible circumstance. How is it that with all the opposition to him, the attempts in his life, he was able to be a governor in four administrations? I think it is because he never forgot who he served. When you keep your faith, I cannot guarantee that stuff will stop happening. But I know for certain that you will see God's hand move right in the middle of impossible circumstances. The third thing that Daniel did was he remembered he was a witness. You see, when he's finally given the interpretation of the dream, when he's finally given the dream and its interpretation, he does something astonishing. First of all, he takes no credit for it. And then the second thing is he tells this temperamental king, this king who, by the way, liked to be worshipped as God, this king who could take his life in an instant, he tells the king that there is one greater. Daniel 2 Verse 27, Daniel answered the king, no mere human can solve the king's mystery. I don't care who it is. No wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no, div no, no diviner. But there is a God in heaven who solves mysteries. And he has solved this one and he's letting king, ne king Nebuchadnezzar in on what is going to happen in the days ahead. And then again in verse 44. But throughout the history of these kingdoms, the God of heaven will be building a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will this kingdom ever fall under the dominion of another. In the end, it will crush the other kingdoms and finish them off and come through it all. 
standing strong and eternal. Daniel didn't have the message of salvation that we do. But he had a vision of the kingdom that God was building, strong and eternal. And he was unafraid to speak it in this moment. If you keep your integrity and if you keep your faith in the middle of everything happening around you, you will live to be a witness. People will marvel at how you are able to keep steady in the storms of life. And you'll be able to tell each and every one of them that it is God who keeps you. It is God's power at work in the world that holds it together. On this Sunday, there's much to be thankful for. But if we were to ask each of you how you were really doing, and if you were to be honest with us, you would hear all sorts of struggles, about stories about the struggles that people are dealing with. You'd hear stories of incredible strength, but you would also hear stories that might even cause you to despair because we're walking through stuff. It's easy to be in the middle of what looks like it is a blessed life and still be dealing with heartbreaking challenges. But my hope is that in the middle of all that life will throw at you, even when the worst happens, you will remember these three things. Keep your integrity. Keep your faith. Be a witness. Keep your integrity. Keep your faith. Be a witness. If you do these three things, something really cool happens. You will remember who you are. You will remember that you are not forgotten. You will remember that there is no trial that you are facing that is not common to man. You will remember that no matter what you're going through, God's got your back. You will remember that even in the darkest times, even in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is still your shepherd. One of the things that we who are Christ followers get accused of is using our faith walk as a crutch. Eh, your religion is just a crutch. Eh, that faith walk is just a crutch for weak-minded people. And I heard, I heard a preacher this week challenge this kind of thinking. He said, if I had a physical ailment or condition that required the use of crutches, nobody would disparage me for the crutches that I'm using to get around. And it is this understanding that helped me change the way I see my faith. In truth, I am a broken person in need of God's grace and mercy and love. You don't have to be like me. If your life is perfect and you're in charge and you created yourself and everything's going just fine, just sit there in your perfect little seat. But I'm a person in need of God's grace and mercy and love. I'm prone to breaking things around me. And and falling short of my best intentions time after time. Those of us that have chosen to follow Christ have stopped putting our trust in our ability to save ourselves and have decided to trust the work that Jesus did on the cross. Stuff happens in life. And we who follow Jesus have chosen to hold on to him as life circumstances swirl around us and destroy our best laid plans. Stuff happens to us in life. 
And we who have chosen to Jesus, we who have chosen to follow Jesus, have chosen to lift our eyes and look to his unchanging love, even as everything around us moves and shifts and changes. And so when we make an invitation every week, like we do, to anybody that would like to take the next step in their faith walk, we're not making an empty invitation. The truth of the matter is that so many of us have experienced what Paul talks about when he says, you know, when he talks about the peace that passes all understanding. We know that even though our lives may feel like they're spinning out of control, they're not. Because God is in control. And so I want to make the same invitation to you this weekend. If you've been on the sidelines, checking us out, wondering if this faith walk is for you, I ask you to step out in faith and join us on this crazy Jesus journey. If your response is, yes, I want to take the first step, and you're watching online, click that button online. There's a button that pops up online. Click it. Say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. If you're in this room, tell the person you came in with. If you didn't come in with anyone, just come up to me at the end of the service if you're feeling like super extroverted. There's so many people in this room that would love to rejoice with you. If you've made this decision for, your first, for the first time, there's so many of us that would love to rejoice with you because we've all taken this step at one point or another. And our walk with God has been incredibly life-transforming and life-giving. There's much to talk about this subject. There's many lessons that we need to learn only scratch the surface of it because the next phase of it would be to then open this up and for us to start sharing stories but I hope that I brought some encouragement this morning no matter where you are in life stuff happens but when it does please remember to be like Daniel keep your integrity keep your faith be a witness when the opportunity comes Before we return to worship and song, I'm going to invite you to a few moments of silence. There's much to be thankful for, and we should thank God for it. There are many challenges in life, and we should trust God with them. Let's think about that tension and how to find God in the middle of it. Let's pray.